You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove of Cleveland.com with Chris Fedor, who today joins us from Chicago, Illinois, where the Cavs will be playing the Bulls this week. Chris, how are things in Chicago? Things are rainy, windy, and cold here in Chicago, Hayden, but um, other than that, fantastic. <laughs> well, I would hope that it's windy. It is the Windy City, after all. You would, you would hope yeah, that it lives true. up to his name. Um, you got there a day or a couple days early, and uh, are you going to be having any Chicago-style pizza or perhaps a Chicago dog, or what are your uh, what are your food plans in Chicago this week? Well, here's the problem. I don't do Chicago-style pizza. It's basically casserole. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like it. I like New York-style pizza. That's the OG. That's the way to go. So there is a place here in Chicago. It's called Italy. Have you ever been to Italy? I have not, but they have one in New York. Yes, they have one in New York. They also have one here in Chicago. It's very close to the hotel. Um, it's a very, very cool setup. And they have a pizza place in there that does Neapolitan-style pizza. So I always go there. Already had lunch there. That's going to be my pizza fix because, again, Chicago-style pizza is crap. Okay. I mean, we get. Do you like Chicago day. style pizza? I do, I do. I, but I like, I like oh. New York. I like New York style pizza too. I, I like both. I, I you know, it's Bloody. when you go into a situation with with Chicago style pizza, you're expecting Chicago style pizza. Uh, if you're going to New York, you're expecting a New York style pizza. You know, a little bit of the New York flop, as uh, the Barstool guys like to say. Uh, I, I like <laughs> um, what do you call it? Detroit pizza too. You're, do you know what the difference between Detroit pizza is? I think it's like... Uh, no, I didn't know there was a category of Detroit pizza. There is. There's a category of Detroit pizza. It's... Uh, is maybe, that Little Caesars? May- well, not really. So maybe some uh, some listeners could chime in once you listen to this uh, once you listen to this podcast. But Detroit-style pizza is uh, developed in Detroit, Michigan rectangular pizza that is a thick, crisp crust and to- toppings such as uh, excuse me, pepperoni and mushrooms. So it's rectangular-based, kind of like they do in, in Columbus. Uh, I like the circular stuff. And by the way, the Chicago, it's so doughy, right? It's like there's so much sauce. There's so much cheese. You need a knife and fork, basically, because like I said, it's a casserole. It's, I don't know, man. I can't do it. It is very it, – it can be doughy. I mean, if you get the right one, it's, it's very heavy, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is, is very heavy. heavy. There's no doubt. There's no doubt it's super heavy. But uh, I guess there's other, one kind of – there's one kind of Chicago pizza that I've had 
Um, it's in O'Hare Airport. It's called Reggio's. And I'm pretty okay. sure that they have some other locations here in Chicago, like some side places. But that's the only one that I've had. And I only did that because it was right by my gate at O'Hare. And I didn't have any other options. So if I have an option, I'm going to go to Italy or I'm going to go somewhere else. Reggio's Pizza. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing yeah. it right here. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Very good. O'Hare Airport. Yeah. Pizza Express, it says. Was it quick? Yes. And it was quick. Yeah. They had like personal pan pizzas sitting underneath a hot uh, light or something like that. Okay. Have you ever had a Chicago dog? I have had a Chicago dog. The problem is I don't like onions. Uh, okay. But you could do without it, kind of, I guess. Yeah, but then it's not really the natural, authentic Chicago dog. So right? you had it. You had it. Anyway. Hot dog. Yeah, I did, and I customized it. It tasted like a hot dog. I got yeah. ketchup on it. Wait, that's the whole point. You can't get ketchup on a Chicago dog. That's the entire point of a Chicago dog. Is no ketchup. No, that's what I said. <laughs> I put ketchup on it, so it's just like a regular hot dog because I don't like any of the other crap that they put on a Chicago dog. Oh, uh, fine. I'll give it to you. I, I had one at Wrigley Field. I had one during at Wrigley Field during the 2016 World Series. Oh, it was amazing. So I, uh, I have to disagree with you on that one. But, I, you know, <laughs> your, taste, your taste is your taste. Can't really – you know, I, I always love yeah. how people get in these arguments like, oh, well, this is the best. This is the best. Well, it can't really be the right. best. I mean, everybody's taste buds are different. Everybody grows up with different things. I mean, you enjoy what you enjoy. So if you want to go to right. Italy and you, you know don't me. like Chicago dogs, yeah. Hayden, you know me well enough to know that I don't really expand. I, I like the things that I like. And, I mean, every now and then I'll venture if it makes sense for – if it's something in the realm of what I usually eat. But you know me. I don't, I don't go crazy when it comes to food. I don't, I don't experiment. Um, I don't try too many new things. Uh, so that's just kind of how I am. Well, hey, that's more power to you. Be who you are. Don't let anybody – steer you any differently yeah and i like things usually really really plain i mean if i'm getting a pizza i'll put some pepperoni on it but that's about it if i'm getting a burger i just want ketchup and cheese on it right if i'm getting a hot dog just toss some ketchup on there but i don't need all that other stuff so you, today you walked you said you told me off the air that you were off the uh, recording that you were uh, at the navy pier is that your favorite spot yeah the navy pier is awesome it's a really good time um Today's not the day to do it because it's cloudy, foggy, rainy, windy, and cold. But it is a really cool time. They have a lot of shops in there. Uh, they have a greenhouse in there for some really good photo opportunities. My wife and I did that. It was cool. We met some people that took pictures for us. So oh, nice. I just love being by the water. That's, that's my go-to. Whenever I go to any new city, I like walking by the water and just kind of seeing the vibe. And the Navy Pier is a good time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I we could talk about being near the water for days, like being in San Francisco. I love like the Mercado area over oh. there. Oh. oh, amazing. So amazing. Amazing. Fisherman's wharf is yep. just spectacular in San Francisco. It, and I by mean, the way, the Ferris wheel today is still running here in Chicago at the Navy pier, but we did not do the Ferris wheel because we didn't think today was the day to do it. No, nah, I mean, I, I wouldn't think so with it being kind of cold and rainy and wind. I mean, right. the wind, I would be scared of. That would, that would be my kind of, I'm out. I don't want to be up there. It's so windy. I'm good. Right. But on the other side of that, Hayden is like, they don't have a long line now, obviously, yeah, because of true. today. So 
So most days that you go to the Navy Pier, if it's a clear day, if it's a sunny day, you're going to be waiting in line just to go on the Ferris wheel. And who wants to wait in line to go on a Ferris wheel? So if you go on a day like this, you're going to go straight to the front of the line. It's like you have a fast pass at Cedar Point or something like that. And you risk death by going up on the, when it's windy. <laughs> well, well, sure, there's the drawback of that. Yeah, I mean, it's a small <laughs> drawback. You, you, have you ever seen the, uh, what, is it, what do you call it, the final, not Final Fantasy, is it, um, oh, the uh, Destiny, or, I don't remember. There's like a movie where... Final Destination? Yeah, Final Destination, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I, I've never seen it, but I knew where you were going with it. Yeah, no, I, I have no desire to see it either. But in any case, uh, I would not have been up there today. <laughs> so you're in Chicago, and the Cavaliers are starting a big old road trip. They are going on yep. a six-game roadie, it looks like. They're doing, uh, they'll mm-hmm. be in Chicago tomorrow at 8 p.m., and we are recording this on a Monday, as always. So that'll be a Tuesday. Uh, then they go to Charlotte on Friday. Do you have a couple days in Charlotte, right? Does that make sense? I have two days in Charlotte. Yeah, two days in Charlotte. Okay, and then I get to Charlotte on Thursday, and they okay. play Friday, and I leave Saturday. Okay, so you have a couple days in Charlotte, then you go to Atlanta, then mm-hmm. Houston, then Orlando, then Indiana. So kind of a kind of a East Coast ish trip. I mean, that little jet off to Houston is a little bit out of the way, but again, a big six game right. road trip for the Cavaliers who are just coming off of a two-game home win streak, back-to-back nights, back-to-back Western Conference foes. They win over the Denver Nuggets, and then they beat the San Antonio Spurs last night, Chris, and they get to 19 wins, which is a significant accomplishment. Yeah, I asked Larry Nance Jr. if it was, and he said, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I thought it was – I think Kevin Love had some extra work. I think some Kevin Love had some extra words for that too. In the background. Yes, I think he did. In the background, as he always does. Yes. Kevin, I think, talks more with more personality when he's not the one on camera and he's just in the background and somebody else is conducting an interview, whether it's Andre Drummond or Tristan Thompson or Larry Nance Jr. or Colin Sexton. That's when Kevin really becomes lively, which is always interesting to me. But I thought it was a big deal, Hayden. I mean, you're at the 19 win mark already. There's 18 games left. And there are some winnable ones coming up, including Tuesday night in Chicago. Charlotte's not very good. Atlanta stinks, right? Orlando's up and down. Houston's kind of on a slide. And then even after that, you've got Sacramento, Phoenix, Sacramento again, Golden State. So there's an opportunity here, Hayden, for the Cavs to get 25, 26 wins, something around there. Um, And I think, by any measure, you would consider that a successful season in year two of a rebuild, especially when you have Colin Sexton continuing to evolve, when you have Kevin Porter Jr. looking like a franchise cornerstone type if he continues on this trajectory. Um, we won't talk about Darius Garland. I think he's had a horrible rookie season, um, but, but there are circumstances that surround that that make it really difficult for me to really go in on him and criticize him that much. Um, but but given everything that happened at the beginning of this year, for them to finish with 25, 26 wins potentially and have the individual growth, I would say it's a successful season, and it makes you feel better about them going into next year, the 2020-2021 campaign. And, lest we forget, a head coach change in the middle of the season. <laughs> 
So, I mean, I know those can help and it probably has helped in this situation, but I mean, that's even something else that they've, you know, had to overcome. And, and it, you're right. I think it would be significant if they could get 20, 24 to 25 wins. And speaking of that coach, JV Bickerstaff last night kind of said, I thought he had an interesting answer. It was towards the end of his press conference. And I know you were typing away as the game was ending and it was a close game in overtime. <laughs> he said something yeah. along the lines of, um, what you know, he was asked something along the lines of, "What have you, you know, what does this game show?" And he said, "It shows that we can." Or what do these, right. these last two games show? It show? They show that we we can. And then you went on to write, you know, a little bit about the Cavaliers believing in themselves again. And I just I wanted you to kind of touch on that. What what the what your view of this whole belief is, and how that's kind of changed uh, since the trade deadline or the All Star break. Excuse me. Well, so. I want to make something clear. I feel like a lot of players in the locker room, Hayden, always had a belief in themselves. And I think Correct. they always had a belief in their teammates. I don't think um, you're in the NBA I remember, if you don't believe in yourself, if that makes any sense. Right, right. But I mean belief in the roster and belief mm-hmm. in the guys that are around them and feel like the guys around them are the right components. The belief came other places. So I talked to a number of different players near the beginning of the season, and then as the season progressed, and there was always a belief in Kevin Porter Jr. I mean, Kevin Porter Jr.'s teammates have been raving about him. Uh, Kevin Love started to feel a lot better about Colin Sexton around December when he was starting to make progress and he was starting to change. Like some of the things that they had questions with Colin about, he started to answer those questions. And he started to show, yes, I can. And he started to say, I can be a more a balanced player. Um, so, so that wasn't the issue. The issue was they had a coach that they didn't believe in. They had a coach that they felt was overmatched. They had a coach that they didn't trust to put them in the best situation to get the most out of them. And that doesn't mean that John Beeline is a bad basketball coach. You know what I mean? It just means there are certain coaches for certain situations. And for this roster and for this environment and for this rebuild, John Beeline wasn't the right one to get through to them. J.B. Bickerstaff has been able to get more out of these guys because they believe in him, because they trust him, and because they feel like his message is, one, consistent, and, two, meaningful. And that's the first step, really, if you think about it, this, this organization as a whole, Hayden, has a long way to go. The roster's imbalanced. There's way too many guards, way too many bigs, not enough wings. But step one is to find a voice in that locker room that you will follow. And J.B. Bickerstaff has been that voice for these guys. I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff, as you mentioned, uh, you know, has kind of has the ear of this Cavs team more so than the others. And um, has been around the NBA, has been, um, you know, a head coach, an interim head coach. His father, Bernie Bickerstaff, obviously, and, and a longtime NBA guy. He knows the league. Is it just that? Is it just, you know, being a kind of an NBA lifer, being an NBA guy through and through? Is that where he kind of just gets it to where his John Beeline had no chance? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Um. I think a big part of it is, yes, he's been around the league. Um, I think a big part of it is, yes, he understands uh, that the NBA is different than anything else. Um, 
I think the other thing, Hayden, is there's not a, as significant of an age gap. I do believe that that was a problem inside the locker room. And I think the Cavs overlooked John Beeline being 66 a little bit too much in the entire hiring process. Because there's just a different way that a 66-year-old man communicates. He doesn't talk like me, right? He doesn't talk like you. And he certainly doesn't talk like the players. And I just think it was hard for him to communicate to these guys. I was talking to one player in the locker room last night, Hayden, and he said he was so stubborn, he felt like he knew everything, and he just wouldn't meet players halfway. Because in college, everything was done his way. You had to listen. Players had to listen. Because if players didn't listen, they didn't play. And if they didn't play, they probably transferred. But John Beeline was the face of the program. He was the voice of the program. And his voice mattered more than anybody else's. And in the NBA, that's just not it. It's never going to be it. So I think that played into it. 40 years of doing it one way and being successful at it that way. It's hard for you to feel like you have to be the one to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think John Beeline came in thinking these guys are the guys who are going to have to change because they only won 19 games last year because they had the worst defense in NBA history because they were one of the worst teams in the entire league. So because of that, they hired me for a reason and these guys are going to have to change, not me. And then about January, maybe December, John was like, oh, I've got to change. I've got to adapt. And he scrapped his offense, and he started to try different methods of communication. But the problem was, by then it was too late, and they had already um, lost that buy-in, and they had already lost um, that sense of joy, and they had already lost that sense of uh, collective enthusiasm because you were in the dog days of the NBA and because you had already been beaten down by what had transpired in the first two months of the season. So, Chris, I don't mean to cut you off in regards to this Cavaliers conversation, but it's a little bit of breaking news here. Um, yeah. And it looks like it's legitimate. Uh, the AP is reporting that the NBA, the NHL, the MLS, and Major League Baseball are closing yeah. locker rooms due to coronavirus. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is a pretty significant, uh, pretty significant happening. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on this as the AP, you know, this report just came out three minutes ago? I hope it doesn't stay that way. I, I recognize that they're doing it because this is what was recommended to them by a bunch of health professionals and safety and health has to come first and the NBA has to protect the players. Um, and they feel like in doing this, they can contain it. I just hope that it goes back to the way that it was. And I hope that the NBA and other teams around the NBA, Hayden, don't see this as the first way to get reporters out of the locker room. Because I think being in the locker room is incredibly valuable. Because you start to talk to these guys as humans. You start to have different conversations about life, not about basketball necessarily, and that's how you build that bond. That's how you build that relationship. 
so that when it does come time to do a huge feature story on Kevin Porter Jr., like I did recently, or it comes time to do the aftermath of what happened truly with John Beeline, you're able to do that. And you already have that trust built in because you built that trust um, with cameras off, right? With a recorder not in your hand and just talking to these guys like they're people because at the end of the day, they are people. And these are relationships that you're building. And not every relationship can be built with cameras around. Not every relationship can be built with a recorder in your hand. You have to do that other stuff. And then when it's time to bring out the recorder, you do. But so many of my stories, Hayden, including last night's story that I wrote about, I mean, that is not possible without locker room access. Truly, I don't believe it's possible to do that kind of story without locker room access. Because, I, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I just, I was going to say, I completely agree. Like, you know, I've, I mean, I, I kind of tend to defer to you in regards to the, you know, the basketball stuff because you're around this team every day. But having been mm-hmm. in a ton of locker rooms myself, be it, you know, Indians, Cavs, Browns, I mean, I, I've seen it firsthand that you're 100% right. You know, I, and, I, and I get the argument, oh, well, you know, they're just standing around while guys are getting dressed. Well, okay, sometimes you don't want to invade space. Sometimes, you know, there, there right. are instances where you're not, where you don't necessarily necessarily need to be in there but there are times where it, it does absolutely and for guys like you who are in not only in the locker room at home but in the locker room and at home and on, on the road i mean where they see every day you have all that time mm-hmm. to really develop the relationships that you need to develop to write the stories that you need to write and for the fans to get a real sense of what these teams or what these guys are and who these guys are and what these teams are about right. i think i think it absolutely you know it's absolutely vital to the to the lifeblood of you know sports journalism for reporters to be allowed in the locker room or else you're not going to get the kind of access that you um that you yes. want, the stories that you want the the inside information yes. the you know the, the background you're not going to get to see who these yes. guys are so i think i mean i would i would tend to believe that this is just temporary right i mean because of the right. coronavirus i mean is that your thought that it's just well that's temporary? my thought yeah that's my thought because of this being a health scare at the same time, there are teams around the NBA that have been fighting to do this um, for a couple of years. There are teams around the NBA, Hayden, that don't have shoot-arounds, whether it's at home or on the road, and they limit really? access to the media. Yes. I, I didn't know that. Really? Yes. Okay. Who, that is teams? starting to happen around the NBA. The Toronto Raptors, they don't have shoot-arounds, right? The Los Angeles Lakers have limited some of theirs. I think the Los Angeles Clippers have limited some of theirs. We're fortunate to cover a team here in the Cavs that have home shootarounds and road shootarounds. And the more access that you can have to players, the better your stories are going to be, the more in-depth your stories are going to be, and the more background you're going to have. And I think it's important to report with your eyes, too. So, yeah, sometimes you go into the locker room, right, and you're just kind of standing around. Maybe your guy that you want to talk to, maybe he's not in the locker room. Maybe he's in the cold tub. Right? Maybe he's in the players' lounge. Um, so you're not just standing around to stand around. There's somebody that you want to talk to that doesn't happen to be in the locker room, and you're hoping to wait out the time and maybe get five minutes with him towards the end before you're booted out. There's just no way to know for sure who's going to be in there, who's not going to be in there. So you go right. in there, and you wait, and you hope. Um, but the more access that you get to these guys, 
the better it's going to be. Again, so many of my stories, the ones that I'm most proud of, the ones that I feel are the best ones that I've done either this year or last year, are a big result of locker room access, whether it's pre-game availability or post-game availability, because guys are just more comfortable in that environment. They're less comfortable when they're standing up against a wall with a throng of reporters around and all these lights and all these cameras. It's just not going to be the same level of story, and that's what I'm afraid of. Well, I think to assuage your fears a little bit, there is a uh, there is a statement that was brought out by a couple of uh, leagues. It says professional sports leagues temporarily limit uh, locker room access to players and essential staff. Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the National Basketball Association and the National Hockey League issued the following joint statement after consultation with infectious disease and public health experts. And given the issues that can be associated with close contact in pre and post game settings. All team locker rooms and clubhouses will be open only to players and essential employees of teams and team facilities until further notice. Media access will be maintained in designated locations outside of the locker room and clubhouse setting. These temporary changes will be effective beginning with tomorrow's games and practices. So I don't think it's as much an NBA issue. I know that you're saying that there are NBA teams that right. are doing this already, but it looks to right. be a just a league-wide, hey, the commissioners got together, talked to the infectious disease people, and said this will be the best option for now. And look, I get it. I completely get it. Again, health comes first. Safety comes first. um, And the league has to protect its players because they're the moneymakers. They're the people um, that everybody is paying to see. Um, And look, there are some players that have recently said, Chris, I'm not shaking your hand, right? I'm not giving you a fist bump. Matthew Delavadova, I went to go give him a fist bump because Delhi gives me a fist bump every time that I see him, whether it's on the court, in the locker room that's just our thing I've known him for a long time now so I went to give him a fist bump and he just shook his head no and he gave me the elbow <laughs> he Fair. threw the elbow out and he's like uh, nope he's like all those commercial flights that you're taking so I get it I'm on so many different flights that they probably don't want me in the locker room they're on their private flights amongst each other always around each other and they feel like they can contain it a little bit better that way. So I completely understand um, their line of thinking with trying to, to, to make it as healthy as possible. It's just the byproduct of that. I believe the content and the stories are going to suffer and it's going to make it more difficult. And that's unfortunate. Well, yeah, I, I hope that this thing, obviously, I think we all hope that this thing just goes away quickly, that, that the virus is kind of, um, held in check and doesn't travel yep. too far and things return back to normal. Obviously today, the uh, governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine re- announced that there are three people from Cuyahoga County who are, is it, yeah. by the way, is it Cuyahoga or Cuyahoga? Is it, which one am I, which one? I mean, it's been a potato, potato, tomato, tomato. I feel yeah. Like. One of those. Okay. Look, anyway. I, mean, I was born in, I was born in the County and I'm not 100% sure how to say it. Yeah. Nor am I 100% sure how to spell it when I actually have to spell it out. So. Oh, it's easy to spell. No, it's not. C- C-U-I-C-U-I-A-H-O-G-A. Come on. Yeah, but that's sometimes I, instead of the A that's right there in the middle, I either put a U or an O. Well, an O would make sense. Cuyahoga, yeah. So what do you? Kaya. 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 
Kaya. Yeah, I yeah. suppose it does. Anyway, there are three people from Kaya, Kayo, Kaya, Koga <laughs> County <laughs> that have been, and we just don't mean to laugh at the, it's a serious issue here um, with the coronavirus. So we're hoping to, I think, again, I, my, as you travel, I will wish you the best and just keep your hands clean. And, you know, I think you're pretty cleanly. Yeah. There's not much we can do outside of that. I don't think you can stop right. living life, you know. Yeah, I mean, I wash my hands constantly. I have yeah. this travel size um, hand sanitizer that I bring with me um, in my carry-on. I have travel wipes that I use to wipe down everything on a plane. So I'm doing everything that I can. I drink emergency every single day, actually. Really? Okay. Because I feel like it strengthens my immune system. It's part of my daily routine. So I'm doing everything I can. I can tell uh, you that much. Well, good. Good. When we hope you continue to do everything that you can because we don't need anybody else. I think else. my wife just left me. Your wife just left you? Well, I mean, not in that sense. But we were <laughs> hanging out. Say, wow. we, were, we were hanging out in this baller room that I got upgraded to at the Marriott. And um, she's no longer in here. I think she went to the club lounge without me to go get some hors d'oeuvres. Well, more power to her. Smart woman. I won't keep you too much longer. How about that? No, that's okay. That's fine. If she's not here, what else am I going to do, right? That's true. But it's good. I, was, I wasn't going to – I mean, I, I don't know why I wasn't going to, but I was going to mention that your wife was there just to keep her – keep your private life private. But if you already said it, yeah, tell your wife I said hello. The lovely Holly is yeah. in uh, Chicago with you. So yep, she is. That she always, is that first, always makes um, – this is the fun. first time she's actually made a trip with me on the road, and it makes it a lot more fun. That's Ever? Sure. Yeah, I had invited really? her all of last year. Yes, I invited her all of last year, and she said it didn't make sense because there's not enough time in between games to actually enjoy it. Um, but because she knows people in Chicago, while I'm at the game tomorrow, she's going to be able to hang out with her old friends. So that helps. Oh, that's nice. Is she just going to Chicago, or is she going to follow you to Charlotte? And... Just Chicago. Okay. Well, hey, it's a start. That's good. It's a start. Good. Exactly good. right. She <laughs> she picked she picked the weekend where coronavirus is spreading rampant, <laughs> or she's picked the week that coronavirus is spreading spreading rampant to travel. But other than that, she's she's okay. <laughs> yeah, I have um. I have a statement from the Pro Basketball Writers Association regarding Beautiful. the NBA's decision to temporarily limit locker room access. Would love to hear it. All right. It says the PBWA today issued the following not statement. Pro, not Pro Bowling Writers Association. Pro Basketball. No. That's right. Basketball. Okay. Uh, the coronavirus poses a serious health threat to everyone. The PBWA believes the safety of fans, players, team employees, arena workers and the media who cover the league must be protected our thoughts are with all people who already have been adversely impacted by the virus therefore we understand the nba's decision to temporarily close locker rooms to everyone but players and essential team personnel with the nba's promise that once the coronavirus crisis abates the league will restore full access to the journalists who cover the league our members remain committed to providing thorough, insightful, and fair coverage. Locker room access is essential to good sports journalism. It allows for mutually respectful working relationships to be built, story ideas to form, 
and for organic conversation to occur. It leads to richer stories and more informed reporting. Perfect. Just as you said. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. I think that's exactly, I think, I think we're all on the same page here in regards to, I mean, at least us being journalists, I think that makes it for us. I don't think there's any other way to think about it, you know, other than it being temporary in regards to yes. the locker room. Right. I'm sure. The, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, some of the players will be some, I noticed that I said some, some of the players will be a little relieved, but others I'm <laughs> sure uh, will kind of feel the same way. Yep. I get it. All right. Back to basketball. If you don't, if you would, if we would, right? I mean, right. that is, we are the wine and gold talk, the wine and gold talk podcast. So exactly Cavaliers, right. Cavaliers re, re, uh, reached 19 wins last night. They are now going on a six game road trip, but what better time to talk a little NBA draft because the Cavaliers definitely are not going to make the playoffs, even if they do have a better season. Uh, in which they are, I mean, unless they completely just crap the bed on the way out and don't win another game, they currently have to one, two, three, four, five. You said 18 games? Yes, 18 left. So if they, if they lose 18 in a row, they're, they're a way bigger fish <laughs> to fry. So, anyway, so the Cavaliers not going to make the playoffs, and they have been on uh, scouting trips as of, re- as of late, and you mentioned – uh, you wrote a story about it, and uh, you mentioned that uh, Denny Avdija from uh, Israel was one of the latest uh, trips that the Cavaliers are going to make. Now, the Cavaliers have obvious, or the Cavaliers made. Uh, the Cavaliers have drafted mm-hmm. a lot of guards. Would they be able to draft yet another? Well, Avdija is a swing man, so he can yeah. play, they think, the three, maybe the four in certain okay. lineups he's obviously got to get bigger and stronger because i think he's around 200 pounds or something like that so his height is listed anywhere depending on the site that you look at and these things can be tricky um anywhere from six foot seven to six foot nine so he would be exactly um the positional fit that they need now mm-hmm. i don't know enough about listed it listed it sure. listed at 219 okay there you go and also and he's listed only 19 years old and also listed here at six foot nine. So, I mean, okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying these, these measurements can be very up and down depending on where you yes. are measured. That's exactly right. And he's only 19 years old. So you feel like he's going to grow more into his body. He's going to mature, but he's been playing professional basketball for a few years. And, um, Everything that I have heard from people that I've talked to about him, because I obviously haven't seen him play, I can only go by the people who are smarter than me who watch him, um, both on film and in person. Really high basketball IQ, can do a little bit of everything, but doesn't do any one thing great. Like He's not a great passer. He's not a great shooter. He's not a great rebounder. He's not a great defender. But he does a little bit of everything, and he can help in a variety of ways. So, um, in the EuroLeague, Hayden, he plays for Maccabi Tel Aviv. They have a bunch of former NBA players on that team, and they have a lot of experienced overseas players. So, he has a hard time getting consistent playing time in the EuroLeague, which is obviously the better competition. And a lot of people that go overseas, they want to see him play against the better competition because they feel like they'll have a better idea of how it would translate to the NBA but he gets more of his playing time with the Israeli league, which is not as steep competition. 
Um, not a bunch of NBA players over there. So it's really hard to get a gauge of just how his game would translate from um, overseas to the NBA. Like Luka Doncic played at the highest level against elite competition, and he was the best player in the league. So that gave a lot of people, even though some had pause, that gave a lot of people a lot more comfort when it came to evaluating Luka. Um, But Kobe Altman, the general manager of the Cavs, he was in Tel Aviv for, I want to say, five days. It was supposed to be six or seven, but he cut it short because of coronavirus, obviously. Ah, And Mike Ganzi, Mike Ganzi, the assistant general manager, um, he got to Tel Aviv two days before Kobe Altman, and he, as of a couple days ago, was still there. He wanted to see one last game of Denny Avdija against a team from Belgrade, and they got smacked. And Avdija didn't really play, and he didn't do anything notable. So it's clear that Denny Avdija is on the Cavs' radar. They have taken enough trips to see him in person, um, both last year and this year, where it's not just simply doing their due diligence. This is somebody on their radar that if they had a high pick, they would absolutely consider. In fact, I had a source tell me that because of the way that this draft is, they think there's a chance that he could, emphasis on could, go number one overall, actually. And there are about four or five guys that are, quote unquote, in the mix for the number one overall pick. This is really fun, Chris. This is going to be a really fun little segment we're about to have. Because, obviously, okay. we know Maccabi Tel Aviv because of one, the one and the only David Blatt. David Blatt, yep. David Blatt coached Maccabi Tel Aviv, and obviously Denny Avdija is right over there with Maccabi Tel Aviv. But there are, as you mentioned, there are a slew of former yes. NBA players currently playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv. And a former Buckeye. Former Buckeye, if I'm right. Othello Hunter? Oh, I, you know what? I don't see him on here. But you oh, might be right. You're looking at... Are you looking um, at the right Maccabi? I am. Let's see. Yes, Maccabi you're right. Five. Sorry, I was looking. Yeah. I was looking at a, 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 but it's still a great roster. Um, but there yes, were some is. other players on the. Uh, okay, so Scotty Wilbekin, former Florida yeah. Gator, um, and he's third. And I ahead. believe I believe he was Euro League MVP or something like that, or Euro Cup MVP. I, I believe he's a really really good overseas player. I believe that he was. Um, okay. You got you got a fellow hunter, former Ohio State Buckeye. You That's have thirty-seven right. year old Amari Stoudemire. Oh my gosh! Really? Thirty-seven year old Amari Stoudemire playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv. Yes. Remember? Okay. Back, right. Remember when he kind of had you know his downer years? He kind of reverted back to his Jewish roots and all that. So yep, makes a I little bit of sense. Uh, Tyler Dorsey. And I remember him as a mm-hmm. prospect. He is yep. over there. Uh, we have uh, Omri Caspi, former Cavalier. Yeah, that's we have, right. Um, Tarek Black. I remember yep. that name. We also Quincy have Acey. yes, Quincy Acey. Yeah. So yep. there are you there. You could you could have a legitimate NBA starting five. Uh, Aaron Jackson, Jalen Reynolds over there as well. So yep. pretty interesting roster. For the Maccabi Tel Aviv, do they have a nickname or is it just Maccabi Tel Aviv? I don't know. That's a good. I think they just go by Maccabi. Yeah, 
Yeah, Makati, right. Because they're intel. And that helps and that helps people understand, Hayden, why it's hard for a nineteen year old kid when when they have high aspirations, right? It's hard for a nineteen year old kid to get consistent playing time on that kind of team. Oh yeah. I mean when you look at the roster, you know, uh, you have Denny of DJ is eighteen years old. There's one kid, uh, Amit Aroni is seventeen. Everybody else is in their twenties. Um, or 30s even. So you have you know, right. Nate Walters is 28, Wilbekin's 26, Amari's 37, um, Jalen mm-hmm. Reynolds 27, 33, 33, 23, 28, 24, 29, 31, 30. So these, I mean, these guys are playing to win. This is a, like a veteran roster. Right. This isn't, so I, it, it makes sense that Avdija might not, you know, necessarily see that much playing time. He is averaging 12.3 points a game, 5.9 rebounds, 2.4 assists. So, not yeah. terrible numbers whatsoever, but it is better. No, that's an interesting fine. Thing. And are the Cavaliers? You mentioned are the Cavaliers looking at anybody else in regards to overseas prospects? Yeah. So, assistant GM Mike Ganzi was trying to look at a lot of those guys that that are playing overseas in Europe. Um, I think Theo Maladon is a kid from France. Um, he's getting top. Buzz. Uh, there's another kid from France, Killian Hayes. I believe he's a guard. He's getting top 15 buzz too. So the goal of Gansey was after seeing Denny to kind of do the circuit and, and see a lot of those other guys in person um, because it was just going to be one big trip because you don't want to have to go back overseas after making that trip initially. And I don't yeah. know for sure that I don't know for sure that he did because the last time I had talked to him, he was concerned about coronavirus and the leagues themselves were concerned about coronavirus and they were probably going to limit the scouts and the personnel that could actually be in the building. And I don't know if that happened or not. I was too tied up to figure that out. Well, I'm looking at the most recent, I mean, obviously LaMelo ball wouldn't necessarily count as a, so they already watched him. Yeah. Mike Gansey already watched him. Um, I forget what it was. It was some big New Zealand, uh, Australia type tournament um, where he got to see him before he injured his foot. Okay. So they did see him. Yes, they did see him. Some other names mentioned in this top kind of top 10. You mentioned Killian Hayes, Anyeka Kongwu from USC, Tyrese Max. Call him Big O. Big O. I like it. Big O. Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. The name I haven't really seen much of. Isaac Okoro from obviously from Auburn. So the Cavaliers, yeah. you know, the, the, the lottery can, plan, can pan out in a lot of different ways, which is why it's hard to really look at any NBA mock drafts right now, at least in my estimation, and be like, oh, well, here's where the Cavaliers should be suited. I mean, you never know. They can end up with the number one yeah. pick. They can end up with the number 10 pick. That's just the way the lottery goes. And the Cavaliers have had good draft luck in the past and we've you know if you've listened to the podcast or you can go back and listen on uh, apple Podcasts or listen to the acast or or go back and see the uh, posts on cleveland.com um and go back and listen to some of the draft talk that we've had we've talked a lot about the lottery and how it has affected uh, the cleveland cavaliers but it still is fun to kind of look through some of these different players and where the cavaliers may end up um, and you know what hayden here's something yeah. that i've been wondering too just from the standpoint of um, the view that fans have now of this front office, 
I'm curious if it has started to shift it, it like into the positive realm. Um, That's a great point. Because, because initially people were fed up with Colin Sexton and he was getting a lot of criticism, but over the last couple of months, he's been one of the best players in the entire Eastern conference. Mm-hmm. So now you're starting to say, Oh, with the eighth overall pick, and maybe it wasn't that bad. You know, there's not as many people saying, should have had Shea Gilgis-Alexander, should have had Michael Porter Jr., should have had Miles Bridges, should have had this guy or that guy or that guy. You know what I mean? Like, now people are starting to understand that Colin, at the pick that, that he was taken, um, was probably the right call. Again, you can, you can debate Shea Gilgis-Alexander all day long. I think there's a strong, healthy debate there. But it's not anything where, okay, you passed up on Luka Doncic or Trey Young for Colin Sexton. You know what I mean? If you look at the guys that were drafted after Colin, there's nothing that egregious. So now all of a sudden, with him being one of the best players from his draft class and one of the best players in his age bracket, I wonder if that starts to shift, especially because on top of that, Hayden, you have – Kevin Porter Jr., he found 30th overall pick. Like, that's how you can change the complexion of a rebuild. That's, that's what the Golden State Warriors did. They got Draymond Green at, like, 35 or something like that. So when you can find gems like that, that late in the first round or early in the second round, it shows your scouting chops. And when you've got Kevin Porter Jr. and Colin Sexton, again, who knows about Darius Garland, I'm just wondering if this front office is going to get more of the benefit of the doubt because of those two selections in particular. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like that. Do you think uh, they should? I, I think they should. I absolutely think, you know, admittedly, I kind of – I was never super down on Colin Sexton. Um, I was never yeah. down on, on him because I think he has this knack for – playing hard for working hard for doing things that are going to help him to develop you know over time i don't think he's gonna i don't think he's a guy that's gonna reach his ceiling super quickly i don't think he's gonna mm-hmm. be a guy that's not gonna reach the ceiling because i think he's a guy that has a special knack for really playing the game in a hard way or in a in a in a hard way he plays the game hard he plays with a passion and a fire that you don't see all the time right. and energy and I think he puts that into his off the you know off the court stuff. I think he gets it in that way. So I've never been super right. hard on him for that. Um, you know, some of the skill stuff, I, I I have kind of had some some thoughts, but it does seem like I said that he's getting better. So <laughs> for for the some for thoughts, the, uh, some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are nights where <laughs> you, you question you que- you question some uh, things. He just when when I see Kevin not Porter, many lately. No, not many lately. No. But when I look at Kevin Porter Jr., it just it looks so much more smooth, right? It looks so much more natural. And that's I guess that's no fault of Collins. I mean, some guys are just more naturally inclined. And I think Collins is going to become a kid that is going to have to work for it. He's going to have to work a little harder than Kevin Porter right. Jr. in regards to his ability right. to score. But, you know, looking yep. through this roster, the Cavaliers, I mean, they have talent. They really do. And they've developed talent. Yeah, they do. I mean, you, look at, you look at Colin Sexton, he's gotten a lot better. Kevin Porter Jr. seems to be a guy who could potentially be something special. Um, Dylan Windler, we don't know anything about, unfortunately, but you can't really blame them for that. I mean, it's a it was a stress reaction, and you know that kind of took a bad turn. Uh, Larry Nance mm-hmm. Jr. has really gotten. We don't talk a ton about Larry, but he's 
improved immensely over the last you know oh. couple of years and this year especially he's and you can oh point, yeah you can point to his three-point shooting i mean his just his entire game um kelly yep. kevin love is kevin love uh, andre drummond what we will certainly find out within the next i think i think he said something last night that kind of leads me to believe that he's going to be in cleveland um, I think you said something about like you know this offseason looking into next year and, and what the Cavaliers need. Uh-huh. So it, it makes yeah. sense. And then and, and before know, we move into the questions, really yeah. quick, Aiden. Yeah, I, I know how I know how things go when when it comes to podcasts. Like people will aggregate that the Cavs are like honed in on Denny Avdija because we yeah. spent so much time talking about him. Yeah, I just want to make it clear. Um, the Cavs also spent three days. Kobe Altman spent three straight days on the campus of Georgia to watch practice and a game of Anthony Edwards. So he's done his homework on Anthony Edwards, who is a lot of people feel like is the number one pick in this year's draft. We already mentioned LaMelo ball. They've seen Obi Toppin from Dayton in person as well. And and it Um, looks like, and it looks like with Obi Toppin, it looks like he's, they're going to get another look right here in Cleveland. Yes. They they should be a number one or two seed. Big O at USC, they've watched play in person, and they've watched him practice. In fact, Kevin Porter Jr. was texting with Kobe Altman about Big O because Kevin Porter Jr. obviously went to USC. They've seen Isaac Okoro in person from Auburn as well. In fact, the night of the thug slugs comment from John Beeline, (laughs) Kobe Altman was actually – he was at the Auburn-Vanderbilt game, and he had to leave that game early. So (laughs) it's not just – They've honed in only on Denny Avdija or only on Anthony Edwards. They've been all over the country taking a look at all of these guys in person, both in practice and in game situations, because they have always felt like they have to see these guys, one, in different environments, two, against different levels of competitions, and three, in different settings, like practice and in a game situation. So it's not just they, they've, they've made up their mind already at this point in time. In fact, I think their big board is probably extremely fluid, just like everybody else's in the NBA at this time of year, but especially with this kind of draft class, because well, Chris, there's no Zion, there's no Luka, there's no Ja Morant. Chris, there's no, I mean, and even, I mean, I, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you definitely, you know, made that clear because you never know in yeah. regards to this stuff. Yes, but, I know. But, yeah. But, but yeah, but also like how could they how could they have a draft like they don't know where they're drafting yet. So how could right. they exactly. know exactly you know you I mean even the NFL I, I, people ask all the time like oh what are the Browns going to do? Well, I mean if three teams jump up to draft offensive linemen, who the hell knows what they're going to do? I mean it's the draft right. is a very hard thing to predict because you never know, yep. you know, what's going to happen until the day of. So it's, it would be That's impossible true. for the Cavaliers to be in a position to where, oh, well, we're only looking at these three guys. And it's good that they do their homework. It's good that they go and see these guys in different environments. I think, you know, that's why they, they tend to make good selections. Or it seems they're making good selections in regards to yep. Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter Jr., maybe Darius Garland. So it would make yep. sense. But you did mention the questions. Yep. And uh, I'm going to have to travel over to your Twitter account. By the way, I was going to yep. bring this up. Do you know that you don't follow me? I don't follow you on Twitter. No. I fast. <laughs> you know how long I've waited? I think I've waited like, I think I've waited maybe mm, like three years. That's amazing. 
I didn't even realize that. Hold no, on, I know, and, and I knew you. Di- I knew you didn't because we talk all the time. We have we have other you know off the field interests that we talk about, and um, yes, we're good friends. Yes, exactly. So I was like, oh, we'll we'll see how long this takes for him to realize <laughs> that. But I guess today is the day. Oh, that's amazing! I didn't even realize that. You, how long you t- were you like, oh, this mother? You know, no, like, I really wasn't. Because I doesn't kn- even follow me. No, I I knew. I knew. Like I knew because I I just I had this feeling. I was like, he doesn't know, and it doesn't matter. Because like you would like you would like retweet my tweet sometimes, and I was like, how is he even yes. seeing this? But I would. now, well, now you oh. can see all you can see all of my trash takes, and then you can. I just figured you didn't tweet a lot or something because I never saw you come up on my timeline. I don't tweet. <laughs> I really don't tweet that much. Oh, have, that's what, amazing. I have I have less than half of your tweets. All right, I, I followed you. I okay. corrected that. A big a, a big moment uh, on the One Until Gold Talk podcast. All right, and it's all right. We, yes, we have to dive into questions. Yeah, let's do that because I I gotta go to dinner. Yes, you do. It is it's six thirty uh, Chicago time. All right, um, we appreciate your questions. There looks like there are a lot of questions, and uh, again, we might not be able to get all to all of them this week. Um, I do want to get to this question, and you don't have to answer this. I don't want you to answer this, actually, because it's not relevant. But uh, okay. at Tyo in 17 says, why isn't Andrew Barry re-signing Sashi's player? Don't answer, <laughs> don't answer that. We're not going there. Uh, all right, seriously. Um, Mike Schreiner, Mike uh, underscore CTB IPL. Are the Cavaliers going to rotate their 10-day deals as a way of rewarding charged players, or do they actually like any of these guys? No, they're they're probably just going to keep rotating their guys to reward them. It's something that um, they take a lot of pride in as an organization. I've actually written about this a few different times. I think they're up to seven, seven call-ups from the Canton charge, and they feel like that helps them um, when it comes to being able to get guys both to the NBA roster and um, to agree to play for the Canton charge. Uh, when they see – opportunities like Dean Wade getting um, Matt Mooney um, and some of these other guys on 10 day contracts. Uh, I think it goes a long way when it comes to some of these lesser known players deciding which G league affiliate they're going to try and play for, or which NBA team they're going to try and sign with. So the plan I think moving forward is to continue to rotate guys. The other part of it is Hayden is, after two stints on 10-day contracts, then the NBA um, has a rule in place that teams would have to sign whoever that guy is uh, for the rest of the season. And the Cavs don't want to go down that road because there's nobody um, that has stepped up and shown enough where they're like, yeah, we need to re-sign this guy for the remainder of the season and give him an actual contract. All right, we're going rapid fire here. Uh, this guy's Twitter account, I don't know if you know him, Chris, but it's a great, he's, he has a great handle. Uh, Mike Nunn, at Nunbetta. That's a great handle oh. by Mike Nunn. Nice. N-U-N-N-B-E-T-T-A, Nunbetta. If the Cavaliers can see, I'm going to kind of try to, tra- uh, what do you call it? I'm going to try to lessen this a little bit. If the Cavs continue with stronger play the rest of the year, uh, do you think they go for the playoffs next year with Kevin and Drummond, or will they look to move one, one or both of them this summer? I don't think they're committed one way or the other in saying, okay, we have to move Kevin this offseason, or we have to trade Andre Drummond if he opts into his contract. I think at the time that they traded for Andre Drummond, they believed that he was going to opt into his contract, and they were completely fine with that. 
because they felt internally that there was no better way for them to spend that $28 million in free agency. Um, so if he opts in, they're cool with it. They're going to see if it works. I think the final 18 games is all about how does Kevin and Andre, how does that pairing look together? How does Andre look with Darius Garland? How does Andre look with Colin Sexton? How does Kevin Love look with all these other components too? It's, it's all about experimentation. It's all about figuring out answers and getting as much information as possible going into the off season. But, but I've never gotten the impression Hayden that they regret the contract that they gave Kevin Love and they absolutely feel like they have to deal him away. Otherwise this rebuild won't progress the way that they want it to. They still see Kevin as extremely valuable. They place a high price on him if they are going to trade him. Um, and I just don't think there's any team out there at this point that is going to meet the Cavs asking price and get them to say yes to a Kevin Love trade. That doesn't mean that they're not going to try. It doesn't mean that they wouldn't listen to offers, but listening and saying yes are two completely different things. All right, we keep it rolling. Uh, there is kind of a kind of a strange question, and you don't have, don't take too much time to answer it because it's a short question. Okay. But, uh, basically, the question is. Um, what are are the injury statuses to the injury statuses to KPJ and Tristan Thompson weird or odd? It says, and that's Adam Eaton, not the center fielder, but Eaton AM on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a concussion, so KPJ is in the concussion protocol, yeah. and he's going to have to pass a bunch of different steps in order to get cleared, and there's just no timeline. Because it's a concussion. It's like a snowflake. Some snowflakes are big. Other ones are small. Some concussions are really, really, really bad. Other ones aren't as bad. And you can move through the protocol rather quickly. Um, I think good news was KPJ was in the locker room before the game um, against the San Antonio Spurs. So he wasn't having huge issues with noise. And he wasn't having huge issues with light. Oftentimes when it comes to concussions, you're really sensitive to both of those things. So seeing him in the locker room around his teammates, um, eating dinner um, in a brightly lit environment, that's probably a good sign. But again, I don't know if he's going to play Tuesday against Chicago. I don't know if he's going to play against the Charlotte Hornets. I don't know when he's going to come back. And Tristan just got hurt last night. Um, He had an eye injury. And there's no updated note on um, when he's going to be available or what his status is for Tuesday night's game because the Cavs did not practice today. Quick shout out to uh, Channing Fry, who so astutely pointed out that the eye is the groin of the face last night on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, just the most amazing guy. Anyway, leave it to Channing. Fry. Landy, leave it to Shannon. All right. Uh, we have three more questions. We're kind of rapid fire here and just keep the answers quick, Chris, because I know you got to go. Uh, this one's pretty easy. Yeah. This is a yes or no. Will Delhi be in Cleveland next year? I actually think he will. I think they see him as a core, um, a core culture guy. Let's put it that way. Not like a core piece in terms of KPJ, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, but a core culture guy who brings a lot of value behind the scenes and helps Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. 
So from the very beginning, with all the expiring contracts that the Cavs had, they were planning to keep one or two of those guys as a core culture piece to drive this thing forward. Brandon Knight's gone. John Henson's gone. Jordan Clarkson's gone. So who's left over? Delhi. And I don't think they're going to be able to re-sign Tristan Thompson. So I think they are going to try and sign Delhi um, to a team-friendly deal, if possible. They would like him to make more shots than what he has made this year. <laughs> I think I everybody think would. <laughs> value behind the scenes. I think everybody would. You're right about that. Um, all right. Keep it going. Uh, that was from Hoop Chick, Jennifer Thomas. We appreciate you. Uh, Mark Steller, at msteller123. Uh, uh, Tristan Thompson, possibly say if things uh, fell in place with Drummond and Love, any trade options for a wing for Kevin or Tristan? I just think Tristan staying is highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. I, I think the possibility of that decreased immensely when they traded for Andre Drummond. All right. Uh, that's a good answer. Very quick to the point. Uh, the good Francis on Twitter, like what you're seeing, like what he's seeing from JB, what's his long-term outlook? I mean, you know, he's not an interim. I think that's important to note. Yeah. He never had the interim tag. In fact, there was an agreement in his contract that if something went wrong with John Beeline, obviously they didn't think it was going to be 54 games into his first season, but if something went wrong with John Beeline or he was just ready to move on, he was going to hand it to JB Bickerstaff. JB was going to take over as head coach. There was language built into his original contract. It's part of the reason why he came here to be the lead assistant. It's part of the reason why he turned down a job with the Sacramento Kings, an opportunity to work with his buddy Luke Walton. Um, so he's here. He's going to be the coach. The plan is for him to be the coach. Um, and I think the plan is for him and Kobe Altman to get together at some point in the near future and work out a long-term contract that is more fitting for a head coach rather than the lead assistant. So he's probably going to get a bump in pay, too. Funny story. I was I live here at Crocker, and you live very close in Bay Village. Um, mm-hmm. And I was walking around one day, and I see Luke Walton, and I'm like, "What in the Sam hell is Luke <laughs> Walton doing in Cleveland, Ohio? Like he hasn't been here since he played, or was he, since he coached with the Lakers? Like what in the hell?" And then right behind him, like a couple steps later, I see JB Bickerstaff. I'm like, "Ah, now it makes sense." So the two are very good friends. Would make sense for Luke Walton to be here in Northeast Ohio, Chris. I want to thank you for joining the podcast. We got into a bunch of different topics and uh, this will be posted shortly. And uh, thanks again for following me on Twitter after all these years. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) It, uh, You've made my day. All right. Good. Glad to hear Uh, it. Good talking to you, brother, as always. Yes. All right. Uh, Enjoy your time in Chicago. Next time we will talk, you'll be in H-Town, I believe. So don't bang any trash cans. All right. Sounds good. I'll do my best not to. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Be sure to listen to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts and uh, check out our posts on the Cleveland.com page, Cavaliers page, Cleveland.com slash Cavs. Thank you for joining us. We will talk to you next Monday. Sayonara.